we're back here on World Championship Wrestling. You know, I was thinking about Paul E. Dangerously, but not for very long. But when I did, I thought he could be considered the, the rotten fruits of his mother's labor. Would you not agree with that? I think he's a rotten fruit, all right. As a matter of fact, I'll amend that he's a fruit, period. Let me tell you, Paul E. Dangerously, he's got this whole thing built up to where it's a high noon showdown, where it's gunfight at the OK Corral between me and him. This is Chi-Town Rumble. This is Chicago, the Windy City. It's the home of Prohibition, the Roaring Twenties, Al Capone, Elliot Ness, the Untouchables. Hey, did you ever watch the Untouchables on TV? All the time. Late that night, in the Southside Chicago apartment of Frank Nitty, Al Capone's gangland enforcer, Paulie Dangerously and his band of cutthroats were plotting the demise of Jim Cornette and his Untouchables. Little did they know <laughs> that Cornette and his men had already plotted to send them up the river. That's where you're going to be, Polly Dangerously. You're going to be taking a ride up the river. No, wait. You're going to have a cement overcoat on, and you're going to be in the river. Because it's going to be like the Untouchables meeting Capone's mob. When I open up my violin case, I'm going to have a tennis racket. When you open up your violin case, you're going to have a telephone. And the collision is going to come. The clash is going to come. And the guy who gets pinned is going to leave the NWA forever. And there must be a winner. So I want you to remember, Polly, what kind of stakes you got. And I want you to remember this too, Polly Dangerously. I guarantee you this, your day has come because you think you're gonna be the one to come in here and take Jim Cornette's job, brother. You're far from being right. You're sadly mistaken. And as far as beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan goes, everybody knows that they're the real Midnight Express. All evil men's time must come. Capone died a broken man. Hitler blew his brains out. They fried Ted Bundy two weeks ago. And Polly, you're next. Ladies and gentlemen, every mother's nightmare and every schoolgirl's dream. You know, beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan, the Midnight Express. Boom. And then that the song from the Midnight Express. Dude, and WWE did not pay for the rights. So you can't use the only way you're going to get the full effect of hearing that ambiance that the midnight express created yeah. is on is on youtube because yeah. they didn't want to pay for the rights because that was not a obviously that wasn't a wwe song so what year w w were they at their peak there so i mean bobby eaton you know so he's he actually started himself in 1976 but the the peak years of the midnight express was to me Jim Crockett promotions, WCW when it was NWA. And that's probably 1985, probably through like the early nineties, maybe 90, 1991. Mm -hmm. uh, that was their peak years. And that was WCW on Saturday night as the NWA at five Oh five Eastern. That was the, the mainstay. The midnight express were the mainstays of studio wrestling in Atlanta. Yeah. Like when you when you think of that WCW, I hate calling it WCW, but that was the TV show, World Championship Wrestling, but it was NWA. Mm -hmm. You think of Jim Cornette in there with beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan. Yeah. So I and we got a few iterations of the Midnight Express there because it actually started off as beautiful Bobby and lover boy Dennis. But uh, later on. Uh, Dennis Condry left, so he was replaced by Stan Lee. Uh, Stan Lee. It was Stan Lane. And Stan I don't know Lane. why it was Stan Lane, yeah. Stan Lane was actually with Steve Kern as one of the fabulous ones in 
uh, CWA and I believe Memphis as well. So he was already kind of uh, used to that tag team wrestling. So it was kind of a big deal to jump from a really famous tag team like the Fabulous Ones to jump into another established tag team, which was the Midnight Express. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they were already... Beautiful Bobby wasn't one of the originals in the Midnight Express. It was Loverboy Dennis, Randy Rose, and Norvell Austin. And they were kind of very similar to the Freebirds, another famous team, the Fabulous Freebirds. Uh, they were working as a unit. But then when Bobby Eaton came over, uh, they switched to uh, a tag team. And it was Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry. Would you say back then um, tag teams were – more or less elevated than they are now to like a, in stature? Uh, I would say equal to just, I mean, if it wasn't for Ric Flair being the champion, they were, especially in that, what was considered a Southern wrestling then tag team was everything. Tag teams were so, it's been well known to the surprise of no one. Vince McMahon hated another element of professional wrestling, <laughs> which was, wait, which they was, like this. That's, that's take it away from them. Yeah. <laughs> he hated tag team wrestling, but if you think about it, I mean, the Rock and Roll Express, the Road Warriors. I mean, those those were names that if you put them on the top of the card, they were going to draw. Yeah, they were going to draw. And Midnight Express were up there. I mean, if you listen, I mean, if you see the tweets, you know, obviously we've already started recording. You know, rest in peace. We lost beautiful Bobby Eaton, mm-hmm. uh, the age of sixty-two. Uh, but if you see the tweets, it, it'll really express the importance of it. Is just like to have Ric Flair you know, tweet out that like how important you were to the business yeah, and how influential he was for the bit. And this might be one of the first shows that, you know, I was in, uh, I was raised in New York, Mm -hmm. but I was 100% influenced by Bobby Eaton to the point where his finishing move was a leg drop off the top rope. And actually my, my finishing move was the Puerto Rican guillotine, Uh which was, a leg drop off the top rope, which was Bobby Eaton, because you tried to do something that nobody else could do to make that your finishing hold. Sure. Yeah. And he was one of the very few people that actually did it off the top rope, a leg drop off the top rope. Mm-hmm. Everybody else went to the second rope, but he went to the top. So he inspired me to do that, to do that move. Wow. I never knew that about you. Yeah. So that was a serious, like he was one of those guys, like he was super quiet and he didn't, it was perfect. Right. When, when somebody's not a good talker, you know, you give them a mouthpiece and you don't get a better mouthpiece than Jim Cornette as your, as your manager. Right. So Mm -hmm. to have that as your mouth him as your mouthpiece, he didn't have to say a word, but he was one of those guys where his actions were louder than his words. You can tell he was, he was the silent but deadly type because when he got in the ring, it really was like that tag team poetry. He yeah. didn't. And he wasn't. A, he wasn't a body guy, you know, which was also was great to as, make it part of the tag team. But you never doubted that he wasn't a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, for him, you know, the Midnight Express were so over, and they had a uh, they had a great heel run. They were part of the. Uh, the first, that scaffold match with the road warriors. You remember yeah. that Have you, where Jim Cornette actually really blew his knee out in 96. Oh, I've, been, I've heard him talk about it on his podcast. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's 
that's worth the check out on the network or YouTube of just having him hanging. But that was there with Bubba Raja and that was with the Midnight Express. Mm -hmm. I mean, those guys worked on the top of the card, literally on the top of the world on a scaffold against the Road Warriors. So don't tell me that tag team <laughs> wrestling is is not over. Yeah. Uh, and they got so over that again, they had they were those bad guys that were so good at being bad that they eventually became baby faces because right. they had no choice, even though they had fantastic matches with the rock and roll express and the road warriors that they were just getting cheers. Mm -hmm. And that music, when that music came on, you just felt it. And it was just like, this felt different. Uh, so the only way that you can, you, but who are they going to work if they were a baby face? So you bring in the heel run, enter the only one of the very few mouthpieces left in the business, Paul Heyman, mm -hmm. right? So Paul Heyman came back into world championship wrestling with the original midnight express. So he, you know, I'll never forget it. Jim Cornette gets a call on the set and he's like, I, don't call me. You're a joke. And it and ends up that's when Paul Paulie dangerously at the time called on one of those big mobile phones, which was his gimmick, <laughs> yeah. which was his gimmick. And they had Randy Rose and lover boy Dennis attack beautiful Bobby and sweet Stan. And then you basically had a battle of the Midnight Express. Wow. I mean, so it was it was great, compelling television and that and they were the the epitome of they worked as a unit. Yeah. So good. Yeah, that's um I feel like that that's just not as big these days as far as tag team wrestling goes. Tag teams are generally just for the most part a mishmash of two characters that got nothing else to do. Um there's very few that are just I think young bucks sort of have that old school style with the matching yeah. flair matching flair yeah. and matching attitudes. Yep. You know, FTR is another one. You know, they 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 both tweeted out on this because again, they were clearly if you're in, if you're in tag team wrestling, you're going to be influenced by the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express. You know, Arn and Tully, the Road Warriors, all these like legendary tag teams. Mm -hmm. So they did have that. Like you said, it wasn't always about matching trunks. You know, Stan Lane won wore the uh, the speedos and mm -hmm. Bobby in wore the pants, but you yeah. know, but they were still different but the same yeah. and they had that and he, and he was great. He did get a singles run. I mean, he actually had a, a TV title run, you know, in the early nineties after Stan Lane uh, left and he got a TV title run, which deservingly he actually main evented one of the clash of the champions, the free pay-per-views, you know, like the special shows that are, you know, everybody's favorite, right? Mm -hmm. Uh he actually main evented it with Ric Flair in a two out of three falls match. And he took one of the falls on Ric Flair. I mean, that's a huge deal if you think about that. Yeah. And for WCW to, to main event and you have Bobby Eaton and he takes one of the falls. Mm -hmm. And Ric Flair trusted him enough because everyone knows Ric Flair has been known to go Broadway, right? I'm going 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, you better be able to keep up. And yeah. you can bet Bobby Eaton was one of those guys that kept up with him. Yeah. So... Uh, he was actually also in a part of another pretty famous unit. Uh, he was part of the Dangerous Alliance, which listen to this. This is definitely this is a Hall of Fame list. So the Dangerous yeah. Alliance later on, you know, by obviously by Paul, da Paulie Dangerous, uh, Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman. They had uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, Stunning Steve Austin, uh, the living legend Larry Zbysko, Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton as like that early 90s dangerous alliance. Oh wow. Yeah. I mean that's all Hall of Famers right there. Yeah, yeah. Literally and he was part of that unit. That was pretty impressive that he did that. So mm -hmm. he had a he had a pretty nice run. That was when 
Uh, Ted Turner had already already bought it, so now it was strict. It was no longer NWA; it was straight up WCW. Right. Uh, and it was they were struggling creatively at the time, but now that I think back, that really, and now that we're truly living through a creative struggle, they yeah. weren't creative as creative struggling as we thought. Yeah. You know, people people now look fondly back at the time that RoboCop teamed up with Sting. Oh, wasn't that he, great? Yeah, people look at that fondly now. But back then, you people were probably like, "Oh, what is this?" But now you're like, "Okay, now that you see what really bad creative is, now you're like, okay, I guess that wasn't that bad." Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, you still had all these legends that were being uh, able to pull it off, and Bobby Eaton always was one of those staples. Yeah. And then I think his his other really notable run was with which was then this was a great run, you know, with. Uh, William Regal, mm-hmm. when he was in WCW, who was Lord Stephen Regal. Yeah. And basically now, you know, Bobby Eaton is basically, you know, this, you know, this Alabama kid. So he was very Southern wrestling, Mr. Lawler. He, that was, <laughs> that was Bobby Eaton. Yeah. And he, so they were going to do the opposite tag teams and team up with Stephen Regal, the proper British wrestler. And then the, the professional wrestler, Bobby Eaton, but then he turned and then they changed their name to the Blue Bloods. And he became the Earl of Eaton. And basically, Stephen Regal started teaching him how to be prim and proper and carry yourself like a, a, a you know, a distinguished gentleman. So he took his his mullet and he put it into a slick back, you know, ponytail. And yeah. that really that really got over, too. And that's just thinking about it, it's like this guy was legendary runs with like the Midnight Express, the Dangerous Alliance and the blue bloods and you can't even think of a quote that he said because he never said a word yeah <laughs> like he legitimately never said a word but everybody said and i tell this to people all the time you know that it's just like you've always know that the biggest heels in the business are usually the nicest people in real life and then the the pretty boy heartthrobs that you know the girls they usually turn out to be assholes mm-hmm. and that is probably this is the epitome of that because everybody says, you know, Bobby Eaton was one of the nicest guys in the world. Uh, Bill Dundee, really famous wrestler from Tennessee, forbid his daughter from dating any professional wrestlers as as he probably should have. <laughs> uh, but she broke the rule and it was with Bobby Eaton and yeah. they ended up getting married and he let his rule slide because it was Bobby Eaton. Yeah. I mean, he was like, yeah, he was, he was that well-respected. Wow. So, so well-respected you can date my daughter. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That he's like, you can break the rules. just like any other scumbag wrestlers. Like, don't you go near my daughter. (laughs) But you remember, I see what you do on the road. Right. (laughs) Yeah, dude, he was, I mean, I got to wrestle with one half of the rock and roll express, Ricky Morton and, you know, when you had somebody in the in the locker room like that that are telling you, you know, you're sitting around the learning tree and you're listening to the stories. And I remember like Bobby Eaton was a part of a lot of his really good stories. Yeah. Like for sure. Cause you know, you don't it's gonna be the it's gonna be a, a great podcast, but I feel bad for Jim Cornette because obviously this is like for him, I know this is going to be like losing a brother. Yeah. So I don't expect a turnaround podcast. I don't expect like a ratings 
uh, you know, a click smash that he's going to all of a sudden drop something tomorrow to talk about it. Cause he's probably going to need some time to yeah. register, register this. But when that podcast comes out, I mean, you're going to probably see a part of Jim Cornette that you never, I mean, I don't think he's working a gimmick. I think what you see is what you get. He's really like that, but it's going to be a, a fascinating cause he's going to tell a lot of heartfelt stuff with, you know, around Bobby. And then you're going to hear, it's going to be, very important story time just to really reiterate how important he was in the business and what a big void we talk about this all the time we need to probably do a show that's strictly a hall of fame snubs that like if you want to be a legitimate hall of fame you need to have this in there yeah and and midnight express is a huge huge snub yeah right now like them not being in there rock and roll express are in there what's keeping them out of the hall of fame uh jim Cornette's heat with wwe is what everybody was what everybody suspects but then again wwe brought jim Cornette back to uh put the rock and roll express in the hall of fame so you would think what and could I don't be think- so bad? What is what could be the problem there? Vince seems to be one of his one of his you know main attributes. He seems to always be willing to work with anybody. He again, does, yeah. Again. It does. It, it does seem very. He always does seem very forgiving. And once the the Bruno walls came down and Bruno went in there, you figure yeah. that would do it. But that's what everyone suspects. I can obviously I don't know officially mm-hmm. uh, what it was. I mean, I'm right up the street. I could go down there and knock on Titan can you Tower. Just, yeah, can you just <laughs> ask? You know, just cold call them <laughs> and just see and just see what's up uh but yeah i think having it's going to be very important for the importance of not just tag team wrestling but you know professional wrestling sports entertainment whatever you want to call it that he needs to be a part of it i mean because he was a big part of that man anything that happened in that like with 84 to 91 time frame of like that being before the attitude error, but the importance of that, you just think of Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling at that. But you forget the alternative that was going on at that time produced, you know, 95% of them are all hall of famers Yeah, during, during that period of all those people that were in NWA slash WCW. And he was a big part of that. Yeah. He was a huge part of that, you know, but you, I, I, I do see that there's no way that you can put Bobby Eaton in the Hall of Fame by himself from a from a from a st- fan standpoint, you know, mm-hmm. from a from a wrestler standpoint, everybody's like, yeah, of course, but like you can't put Bobby Eaton in there without the rest of the Midnight Express and that would include Jim Cornette. Mm. You know, Jim Cornette really he managed other guys like he managed Big Boss Man as Big Bubba Rogers and you know, he did some other Later on and later in his career, he was actually managing the Rock and Roll Express. But I mean, and, you know, Yokozuna and stuff, but he's known as he's part of that Midnight Express. You, yeah. you have to you have to have that entire unit in there at yeah. the minimum. Bobby, you know, Bobby Eaton, Stan Lane, Dennis Condry, Jim Cornette. That's who I would say to put in. I don't think people are going to know Norvell Austin or our. Randy Rose as much. Yeah. I expect someday they'll be in the the legacy wing, which is just there basically a way of sliding people in that they don't want to do a full induction in. But Midnight Express does not deserve a legacy induction. They deserve a full-on induction letting the wrestlers, because there's no way 
with the high flying wrestling that's so prevalent today that there's no way that these high flyers do not know who Bobby Eaton is. Yeah. If um, you ever, if you ever go off the top rope, you know who Bobby Eaton is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's reach. Um, I yeah. didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that they were such a big influence on the modern day high flyers. Yeah. It would, and I would just even say just Bobby Eaton, cause Stan Lane, he was kind of like the, the pretty boy. He was, he was, he was very much like, uh, Dirk Diggler. I know Kung Fu, mm-hmm. you know, so he yeah. pretty much like he make all his moves look cool. He had that Mark Wahlberg vibe. He was that the grounded body guy, a part yeah. of the Mid- Midnight Express. Yeah. Where Bobby Eaton was the guy that, you know, Stan Lane would hold him and, you know, tee him up. And Bobby Eaton would come flying from somewhere to take him out. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it was a great tag team chemistry, like you said, where one strength was the other one would help raise the other one's strengths up mm-hmm. versus like you know you like you mentioned like the young bucks i i feel like you wouldn't say one is more high flying than the other one no you know that they both have the uh, the exact same style yeah no they just have a uh they have a fluid compatibility like they know each other's next move and they can they can flow right from one spot to another without having to give it a second thought you know without even thinking and that yeah and that's what makes them great so and that's what made the midnight express so great uh but like you said one one was an aerial attack and one was a ground attack mm-hmm. and and it was and it just worked so well i mean again I, I can't express enough that, you know, if you're listening to this, to spend some time in a YouTube rabbit hole, watching some of those old school tag teams from those 85s, from those Atlanta studio shows. I mean, the audience, there's probably like 30 people in there mm-hmm. and they were just so loud. But that tag team wrestling was so fluid. Yeah. And it was just so good, man. I mean, it's a it's a big loss. It's a. You know, and he's pretty. Yeah, that was pretty young to die. You know, did 62. he have? He had ongoing health problems. No, he did. Yeah, he had a suspected heart attack that it turned out to not be a heart attack, but he definitely had some heart issues. He had some diabetes issues. Uh, ironically, he was recovering from a fall. You know, oh, really? and you wouldn't think that. You know, and his wife just passed. You know, Bill Dundee's daughter. You know, yeah. his wife just passed like a month ago. Oh, so wow. I think, I think it was a, a mix of that, that it was just like his time, but he, he didn't, he was so, he had that, this weird cherub look. Like, it's amazing to think he definitely, uh, he had the Owen Hart. I can't be a bad guy. Cause I can't grow my beard out. That was, <laughs> that, that was my Owen Hart. He's <laughs> like, I can't be a bad guy. I can't grow my beard out where Bobby Eaton always had this very cherub face. He couldn't grow. He didn't have a goatee. He didn't have a mustache. He literally just had a vanilla mullet Mm -hmm. and he had no tan. Where if you just looked at this guy, he just like, he just looked like some standard Alabama dude, you know, but like he was such an athlete, man. Yeah. He's such an athlete, but he just couldn't be. It's to amazing think that 95% of his career, he was a heel, but he just had this like, chubby cherub angel face mm-hmm. redneck kind of vibe to him but he's just like <laughs> but he's he was a heel yeah 
And he was just like, and he would just sit there and not say a word. You know, Jim Cornette would do all the talking and Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton would just be looking at the camera. Stan Lee would be kind of dancing and winking at the girls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bobby Eaton would just be hovering. He would just literally be yeah. hovering, man. But when he got in the ring, it was like, it was the best, you know, if you tell, if you ask me, a lot of fan, current fans, everyone talks about the attitude error, you know, but if you're talking about like tag team wrestling, man, it doesn't get any better than watching rock and roll express versus the midnight express. And it holds up like you can go into YouTube and there's a lot of sloppy spots, but the drama they built the story they told in the ring with the tag teams that it held up. Yeah. And it's just like, and it had a lot to do with, you know, the, his work rate and, and Jim Cornette, you know, the Louisville lip, you know, he didn't, nobody else in that match had to talk shit because Jim Cornette was talking shit and <laughs> getting, in the, getting in the fights with fans and hitting them with the tennis racket. And mm-hmm. <laughs> who would have known that he was just like uh, that, that I would have never guessed that that was a, that wasn't a work. That's just who he was. <laughs> <laughs> and it's awesome. He, he was able to parlay that into a modern day career of talking shit online. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's just like, I, I almost, it's, just, it's it's it sucks for the wrestling world that you do not have Jim Cornette on your booking committee because he knows professional wrestling inside and out. I mean, I'm not even talking about when he was in the business. I'm talking about when he was a photographer, like in the seventies or when he was a kid in this and the collect, like he's a legit, like he makes fun of other collectors. Cause he's just like, Oh, you're trying to get something from the attitude era. Well, I got this from a wrestler that was like from 1946 in a carny tent and his name was it. And he'll tell you the whole story. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's why he's in dark side of the ring. Like he's a true, He's a true historian. He's like the, the Quentin Tarantino of wrestling knowledge. Dude, you just nailed it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he is. He is the Quentin Tarantino of professional wrestling. Man, you literally need to <laughs> add him at Twitter and tell him that handled. And that drives home. If you know Quentin Tarantino, that is what Jim Cornette is to the wrestling business. But it sucks he's not part of any booking committee. And it sounds like he had some heat with AEW, but at the same time, it sounds like he had a meeting, like they would have brought him in, but now he's probably at the age. He's like, I'm making really good money online with this Jim Cornette experience. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, if Jim Cornette came to town, like Mick Foley did on a spoken word tour, yeah, I would 100% buy a ticket front row to be there. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, without man. a shadow of a doubt. And it's just like, I know a lot of modern people don't really know him other than his rants. Yeah. But if, but if you appreciate what, how big and influential he was part of the business, I mean, he was there for the Montreal screw job. He was there for all that, you know, he was against Vince and he was for Vince. Mm-hmm. So he, he knows his shit. And, Bobby Eaton was one of his best friends to the point where his, one of his last Bobby Eaton's last runs was with Smoky Mountain Wrestling from with Jim Cornette's wrestling uh, organization that he started. Yeah. And that was his biggest uh, that was his final run. Uh, and then he did stuff on the, you know, the, you know, the independent circuit after that. And he did the, uh, uh, you know, the autograph signings and stuff. I think he might've even been, and TNA for like a match. He might've been there for a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. but uh, his last run was with Jim Cornette fittingly in Smoky Mountain wrestling. Yeah. So very well worth any kind of rabbit hole that you go digging and to just search up the midnight express 
and just taking their entry, listen to Jim Cornette. He was the master of setting those guys up to set the stage to the point where they didn't have to say a word. And mm-hmm. it was perfect for Bobby Eaton's style because all Bobby Eaton had to do was come out and perform and that's it. And we need more of that in the world because we have a lot of great performers, but not a lot of great personalities. Yeah. So if like in another alternate universe, if Bobby Eaton was handed a script and forced to say something, people may hate him. Right. Because <laughs> it's just if they were gauging him on his mic work rather than his ring work. What were you telling me about a Midnight Express movie? Yeah. So there that I'm assuming that's where they got the title, you know, and they got the music from the Midnight Express. But it was it was actually a 1978 film that was written by Oliver Stone. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So it was, it was, yeah, it was 1978. And it was basically, I, like I said, I, I was, I was really young and it was like, like most of the movies I watched, I was too young to watching it, but it was basically about this Turkish, uh, actually is American student who was get sent to a Turkish prison for trying to smuggle hash out of Turkey. Ah, and I think that's where uh, <laughs> I think where, it's, where even airplane got their famous line. Have you ever been to a Turkish prison? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was the name of the movie was the midnight express. Uh, and they played that song, which I think it was called like chase right. or something like it. it was just an, you know, an instrumental song that the just basically set that mood uh, very, it sounded very John Carpenter ish, you know, which you and I are a fan of his music. It had that same vibe to it. Like when you listen to it, especially you, I guarantee you, you're going to want to listen to it over and over again because it has that John Carpenter vibe. Well, I'll check it out. I'm a big fan of movie soundtracks. Yeah, so you're going to love this song. So it was one of those ones that I'm sure, again, that's why Vince is not going to buy the rights, so you're not going to hear this on the network. But, man, it just, they would turn on the lights. They would set the smoke. The smoke would start to come out. And then Jim Cornette, and they would just come out of the smoke with that doom, 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 doom. It wasn't what you and I, one of our big pet peeves with NXT is everybody comes out to headbangers ball. Right. And that's, and that just, that doesn't work. This is like very how, you know, Bray Wyatt kind of changed theme musics again, because it came out to something very sedate, but it set a mood. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jake, uh, Jake, the snake Roberts, also a song that kind of set the mood, but it was a very somber, like a slow burn, like a white heat. Yeah. That's what midnight express theme music did yeah you know listening to that song would set this like smoldering heat to get ready because you know think about it their number one rival was the rock and roll express and they came out to the don't 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 like the southern rock you know so they had so you set the tone with that and then their rivals were don't 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 so it was almost like combating styles is very clear that it was very combating styles because of that music, you know, so we have the midnight express movie. So thank you, Oliver Stone for helping us to create the midnight express and giving us beautiful Bobby (laughs) sweet Stan with Jim Cornette. Did they take their name from that movie? Yeah, they did. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming they did. So what's the meaning in, you know, in the film, what is the meaning of midnight express? Uh, the Midnight Express was basically just all about smuggling, like uh-huh. trying to smug- smuggle this stuff out. Oh, Midnight know, so Express that, means sn- smuggling. Yes, okay. it's all about smuggling. Yeah, because he was a drug smuggler. Uh, now, what it meant in the wrestling world was basically similar to how 
It's almost like if asking somebody who doesn't understand wrestling, what is the meaning when Ric Flair says, I'm going to take you to Space Mountain, right? That just means I'm going to take you for a ride. Yeah. And in Midnight Express, you know, uh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, actually, when they were the Midnight Rockers, before they were the Rockers in WWF, they were the Midnight Rockers, and they basically took the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express and combined their names and became mm-hmm. the Midnight Rockers because they were very, in a weird way, they were actually a mishmash of the rock and roll express and the midnight express, but the midnight express means I'm going to take you on a ride all night long Mm -hmm. because that's the midnight express. I'm going to, for 24 hours when you're with me, I'm going to take you on a ride. Right. (laughs) So that's where we may be doing something illegal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We might be smuggling hash. Yeah. Again, it's just like, I don't know, maybe, uh, my future therapist will, you know, cause that is one of the scenes that pops in my head. It's like, so explain some of the movies you watched growing up. And I remember the student being stripped down, you know, in this, on the airport in Turkey <laughs> with yeah. his hands in his air. And he has all this hash top to his body, <laughs> taped to his body. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I don't think it had anything to do with, uh, I think, like I said, it was just a great song, a great name. And it just, kind of gave them a, it was a great fit. I may be wrong about this, but that gives me the sense that Midnight Express was maybe somehow alluding to that because you hear stories about the guys uh, in the old days or in the 80s or whatever of the creative ways they had to sneak their dope around, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so maybe that's a little bit of a, you know, whatever. Easter yeah, egg. You might be right, dude. Because like an Easter it, egg. It, 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 <laughs> it may very well be, man, when I was wrestling in Mexico and I like Will's actually right on the other side of the border. And it was like an old timer. I don't even remember his name. He was just like a local guy. And like some girl was like coming up and talking to me. And that was the first time that I heard is just like, oh, is that your mule? And I was just like, what? I was just like, no, no, that's a fan. He's like, no, that's your mule. <laughs> and he <laughs> just kind of walked away. And I was like, what is you this? You have a mule? Yeah, and I was just like, and I had to ask, and then I was almost embarrassed, and I actually had to ask one of the one of the higher vets that I was a little bit more friendly with, and it's just like, what's a mule? And it's just like, oh, come on, kid. <laughs> just like, you know, you know, we don't smuggle our own stuff across the border. We give it to one of these fans, and they bring it across for you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. I was like, that's not what I do. It was just like, I was, you know just a kid at the time was like, so what, like, what, what do you mean? Is this like, we can get Sour Patch kids on this side of the border. Like, what are you, what are you trying to like, you know, to get the good shit. It's just like, <laughs> I need my midnight express. <laughs> yeah. But that, that song, check out that song. We play right now. Set that tone. Dun, 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 dun